This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. During a press conference at the conclusion of the G7 summit, President Biden declared that America is back in the business of leading the world alongside nations who share our most deeply held values. After gathering with NATO leaders in Brussels, the president will travel to Geneva to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. The meeting comes at a tense time between the two countries with arms control, cybersecurity, and Russia's ambitions in Eastern Europe all expected to be topics of great discussion during this summit one-on-one. For this and more, we'll bring in our all-star panel this week, founding editor at the Washington Free Beacon and AEI resident fellow, Matthew Cotnetti, Washington Post columnist and AEI resident fellow, Mark Thiessen, and former Tennessee representative, who is not an AEI resident fellow, Harold Ford. Not yet. Not yet, but I mean, it's early. It's early. At the end of this podcast, we could get an invite. All right, Matthew, um, the prospects here, uh, this whole trip seems to be uh, lining up to this meeting with Putin. Um, The White House has been trying, it seems, to dial back expectations for that. Is that a fair assessment? I do think it's a fair assessment um, that I think we can uh, infer that from the announcement that there will not be a joint press conference at the end of the summit with uh, Vladimir Putin, that uh, Biden will address the press or is scheduled to press um, address the press uh, by himself at the end of the summit. I think there's a lot of question about what the purpose of the summit is. Uh, usually you arrange a summit for it when you have something in mind, uh, you, you have an ask, you have high level um, the disagreements, and obviously there are many disagreements um, between the U.S. and Russia, but it's unclear that uh, they'll be resolved by an in-person meeting uh, between Biden and Putin. Uh, I think what we're looking for is action, and uh, indeed many of the actions of the Biden administration have not upped the pressure on Vladimir Putin. There's been rhetorical pressure, but you just look at um, the, the fact that they waived the uh, sanctions on the Nord Stream pipeline, in, uh, that uh, supplies gas to uh, Eastern and Central Europe. Um, and that's very important for Russia. And the Biden administration has waived the sanctions on some of the members involved in the construction of that pipeline. I think Vladimir Putin looks at that and says, 
fine by me. So um, it, it was good to decide not to address the press jointly. Um, now, uh, but otherwise, I think right now Russia is satisfied uh, with the Biden administration's uh, actions. Yeah, Mark, the you know Putin did a ninety-minute interview with NBC. Um, we heard from President Biden at the post G seven press conference, and you know had some interesting things to say, but he did have a, a bit of a stumble in that he kept on calling Syria Libya uh, a number of different times, but. Putin seems comfortable with uh, whatever whatever's going to happen. At least he's signaling that. Uh, does the White House feel comfortable about this, you think? Um, I think it's probably more than one reason why they're not having a press conference, not only because they didn't want uh, uh, the comparison to the uh, Helsinki press conference where Trump's press conference was a disaster, uh, but this would be a disaster. It could be a disaster for different reasons. I mean, look, I think it's great that Joe Biden's up the rhetorical uh, ante on on Putin that he called him a killer because he is. Uh, but what a president says is a lot about Russia is a lot less important than what he does. Um, Donald Trump, uh, for all of his rhetorical you know softness on Putin, was actually extraordinarily tough Russia policy. He sold uh, Javelin missiles to Ukraine, which Obama and Biden refused to do. Uh, he launched a cyber attack on Russia's research internet agency, this troll farm. Uh, that uh, spearheaded all their electoral interference. He got the NATO allies to contribute, uh, increase their contributions by $140 billion. He expelled 60 Russian diplomats, drew from the INF Treaty. And as Matthew uh, pointed out, uh, he had sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, and by the time he left office, they had those sanctions. He not only threatened sanctions, had sanctioned uh, Russia, he was threatening to sanction Germany. And the construction st- on the pipeline had stopped. Uh, as soon as Biden came into office, uh, he lifted the sanctions and the construction resumed. And you combine that, you know, because the, the, the importance of, the, of this pipeline is, is that it allows Putin to sell gas directly to Western Europe without it having to go through Eastern Europe, which means if he wants to threaten Ukraine by cutting off gas supplies, he would have before he would have had to cut off gas supplies to France and Germany and all the rest. Now he can just bypass them. So it puts uh, Ukraine in a terrible situation. Um, and then also he's, he's cracking down on fossil fuels here at home. The the one thing that which is also music to Putin's ears, because, you know, the alternative to Russian natural gas was American natural gas. And now we're producing less of it. So uh, all the policies that Biden is putting in place are a gift of Vladimir Putin. I don't see where he's getting tough, except by calling him names. Yeah. Harold, uh, moments ago, the president said, I shared with our allies what I'll convey to President Putin that I'm not looking for conflict for with Russia but that we will respond if Russia continues its harmful activities. That's really the message. Look, I, I would agree. I think that, what, that what's been said by both Matt and Mark is, is the frame of it is, is largely right. I, I would differ uh, slightly different view of why I think the meeting is important with, with Putin. And I think you just touched on it rightly so, Brett, and that the president spent time with NATO leaders, G7 leaders, uh, he's listened to them share their concerns about Russia. He has shared his concerns. Many of them we probably all know because they've been in the public narrative, the press narrative for the last several weeks, months, if not uh, a little long, if not longer than that. Uh, and he was able also to talk with the Queen. Uh, so I think you know he will now with this one-on-one meeting be able to share what he heard, convey what he heard, and I hope he shares directly with. Uh, Putin looks him right in the eye and, and says tit for tat with if you if you if you mess with our energy industry and pipelines again, we're going to do the same. 
Uh, we would like to find cooperation, but if you choose to go a different route, we're prepared to go a different route. And I think the meetings he's held with G7 and NATO leaders, will be able to underscore to Putin uh, that even if you built this pipe, even if you complete this pipeline and you envision it allowing, giving you more leverage than you, than you thought you had before, you should know uh, our allies, America's allies in the G7 and NATO will stand with us and not with you. So, you know, again, I, this is not to totally differ with Mark and Matt, but I, I think some of their framework is right. But I, I differ. I think this meeting has real utility and real purpose. Uh, and I think the meetings at the G7 and NATO have been productive for this president, not only around Russia, but around China as well. Yeah. And that's another question is about China. Is there something positive, Matthew, in the in the words of these allies saying that they kind of like the boring G7? That they kind of like, um, you know, this uh, not a Twitter feud uh, every day. I mean, um, they just like that that flavor of meeting better, and they probably like ideologically this leader better. Uh, well, there's no question, and in fact, you can look at some opinion polls, and just uh, public opinion in Europe in general has uh, swung toward approving of the Biden administration and America. Uh, now that we have a new president, and so sure, the Europeans like uh, Biden's leadership; they like the um, uh, Democratic Party; they're more comfortable with the Democratic Party in power. Um, and I, I think the real, uh, I think each summit or each meeting that Biden has had um, or will have in the past several days has, has been of increased difficulty. So he meets with the G7 and they release a communique. Uh, you know, it's pretty good. It says that we believe that they we're in a, a competition with authoritarian regimes like in China and Russia. And, you know, uh, don't ask us about the details because we're, we're still working those out. But in general, we're all on the same page. He goes to NATO. And I think the NATO powers had some real concerns. I think the NATO powers are concerned about the manner in which America is leaving Afghanistan, about the rising uh, Taliban influence there about the security of the uh, Afghan government once America leaves. Uh, NATO, of course, has to deal with uh, uh, the Turkish uh, president uh, Erdogan and his authoritarian tendencies. There's conflict there. There remains conflict over um, burden sharing. And then there's this larger question of, well, what is NATO's purpose uh, in the 21st century? Um, and there's some real dis disagreement or even resistance to the idea that NATO should take a stronger hand outside the European theater, you know, should NATO be involved in conflicts in the South China Sea? This was an alliance, after all, that was created to defend the fold of gap in Germany against the Soviet Union. Um, and so then you finally, you get to the summit with Russia and there too, I mean, just look at Vladimir Putin's pattern of behavior since Joe Biden came to uh, power. You know, Biden, uh, first he uh, renews the new START treaty, the nuclear agreement with Russia, no questions asked. He does that at the outset. What does Putin do? Well, he throws his opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, in jail. Navalny has a hunger strike. And he starts building up his forces on Ukraine, on the border with Ukraine. Then after, on top of that, uh, we have this situation in Belarus, where the dictator there, who's very close to Russia, Lukashenko, he orders a civilian aircraft to land just so he can arrest a dissident. Well, where is the Biden administration in all of this? I mean, they're preparing for a meeting. They're studying really hard for this meeting. But what actual punishment is going to come, uh, much less all of the revelations surrounding the cyber hacks uh, and attacks on our infrastructure uh, from cyber criminals who we know are based in Russia, if not uh, operating in tandem with Russia. So Biden really has to begin to hold Putin's feet to the fire here. This is not something like we have to wait and see what he does next. 
I mean, the man's been in power for 20 years. We know exactly what he is. We, we, we know the president has called him a killer. It's time to start acting like it. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So, Mark, I guess, you know, it's one thing that the Europeans say they like Joe Biden. They like the new leadership. You know, looking backwards, you look at how some of these countries dealt with President Trump and the Trump administration, and there was a, a hesitancy because they didn't know where he was going to go. They didn't know what was going to happen next. And uh, it seemed to me like it kind of kept China and Russia a little bit on guard. 100%. I mean, look, and, and you know, it's not hard for Biden to have a smooth summit with uh, with our European allies because uh, all he has to do is not be Donald Trump. That They are thrilled that Trump is not pushing them on their trade practice. I mean, that Biden is not pushing them on our trade practices, that Biden is not threatening them if they don't start paying up what they promised to NATO, that uh, they uh, he could pull out of the alliance. And Germany is certainly thrilled that he's not threatening sanctions against them for the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, so this, from their perspective, it's great. All the pressure has been lifted. Uh, you know, the, to do the right thing, to do the things they promised to do, like spend 2% of their GDP on, on defense for the NATO alliance. But then you look at the results. So, you know, what was the Biden administration's big ask from the, from, from the communique from the G7? It was that we want them to condemn China's use of Uyghur slave labor, right? They couldn't do it. They didn't, it never made it into the communique. You know, they, and they, they asked China, to respect human rights and give Hong Kong uh, its promised autonomy. Yeah, right. Of course, China's going to take that very seriously. Uh, you know, there's a joke in the foreign policy circles that, uh, you know, if they, when the crisis erupts, the diplomats get together and, and deliver a strongly worded statement. They couldn't even muster a strongly worded statement, <laughs> much yeah. less put consequences on these regimes. So I'm not, I'm not, based on what's gone so far, I'm not terribly confident that there's going to be anything, uh, anything that's going to come out of this summit. Right. And the second thing about china was about the origins of the virus and sure. they're calling for a second who report well the first one was essentially written by china if you ask the experts um and the hope that a second one is somehow going to be revelatory is pretty you know pie in the sky way on this harold i mean uh, so i think i think yesterday uh on fox uh with chris wallace the 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 Current Secretary of State and the former Secretary of State were on, and and current Secretary of State Blinken said we're looking resolutely forward. I think all the things that Mark and Matt have shared, there's some truth, and there's some things that are not true in what they've said. Uh, I do think that we live in a fluid world. We live in a dangerous world. We live in a messy world. Uh, I can point to ten things that happened on President Trump's watch uh, that probably were not smart, probably were dangerous, and without question were lethal and deadly, uh, including a massive hack. At the time, the biggest hack against government systems uh, right in the second half of 2020, right before the election. And in fact, President Trump um, uh, rebuked the secretary of state in the State Department when Secretary Pompeo wanted to release, actually said publicly that Russia was behind it. And the president came back behind him and said, no, try to assign blame to China. But look, I don't want to look back. I think looking, we got to assume in foreign policy that each president is trying to build on the, on the previous president. This president has a different strategy. Brett said it. 
uh, in the, the second round of questioning to uh, to Mark, which is I think there's some world leaders who like some predictability and stability from the way America behaves. There was some value and upside of the way President Trump, uh, at least tonally and rhetorically, uh, especially what he did around China, which I supported. But if you look at the outcomes, the outcomes were not any better. You got COVID out of there, and I think we should investigate. In fact, President Trump tried to get into China back last year in April and May, but was denied it. In fact, it was Biden who said during the campaign, I would force them to let me in. We're going to see now if he can get in. I'm not sure he will. And I think we should assume if China does not let us in, we should assume uh, the worst case scenario with regard to the lab leak and behave accordingly. But I think this president's approach is very different. And it's it's different and it was validated last November when he won the election. I think the country wants a successful set of outcomes in Russia and China, and for that matter, other adversaries, including the Iranians and North Koreans, but are prepared to travel a different path. And we shall see. I think Matt and Mark want to be wrong. I hope they want to be wrong. And, and they're, they're, they're saying that we won't get much accomplished in these summits and uh, Putin will maybe we shouldn't be meeting with him so soon. The president was just asked since we've been on, was he was it suggested to him by any foreign leader he's met with in the last week? not to meet with President Putin, because there's some experts here in America who are suggesting that this is the wrong time to meet with Putin. And according to President Biden, not one world leader uh, encouraged him not to meet with Putin. In fact, he just said that they all thanked him for meeting with him. So there's some value here in the way this president litigates and prosecutes foreign policy. He's the most experienced uh, president we've had in foreign policy. That doesn't necessarily make him the best. I would agree with that. But certainly, he had that, that experience set uh, informs and hopefully will guide him to better uh, to a better set of conclusions than he might have started uh, without it. Yeah, I just think the the communique and when we say communique, the, the write up from the G7 was pretty watered down. And if you have the sign on, Matthew, from allies that they're buying in to you pressuring, at least behind the scenes, Russia and China, you would think it would be just a little bit more strongly worded uh, when it's coming out of uh, the G7. We'll see what comes out of NATO, but it's likely going to be the same thing. You, you would think that. I mean, a lot of this, uh, a lot of back in this is just what is the value of multilateralism? And the president and his team truly believe in alliances and they've made it very clear they believe alliances are force multipliers and we need to be on the same page as our allies the only way that democracy can prove itself vis-a-vis authoritarianism is through strong alliances and i think there's a lot of truth to that i do think alliances are force multipliers but the alliances are not ends in themselves this is where i depart from the biden administration alliances are a means to an end and so it's good that they're on the same page uh, in general, but eventually you're going to want to see some real consequences and uh, for Putin's uh, actions. And I think you're pointing out um, the uh, investigation into the origins of the coronavirus with the Chinese authoritarianism is absolutely the case. We don't, uh, the, the allies do not want to uh, press China because they're worried about the economic fallout. Many, like many Americans in the business community are worried about the economic fallout if we press China. Um, but that's the place where America will have to just lead and impose costs on China on our own if necessary. Well, we'll follow all of it uh, from beginning to end. Thank you very much, panel. Here's a bit of presidential trivia for you. 
On June 14, 1777, the Continental Congress introduced the country's first American flag. This came during the middle of the Revolutionary War, aiming to unite the 13 colonies, each of which had their, their own separate star, separate emblem. Since then, there have been 27 different versions of the American flag. On May 30th, 1916, President Woodrow Wilson established a National Flag Day. On June 14th, President Harry Truman then signed legislation in 1949 proclaiming Flag Day a national holiday. There you have it. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. We want to hear from you. Leave a rating and review. For Matt, Mark, and Harold, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy, and me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.